Give me someone who loves like me Up there on the TV or movie Anything would do Cause I've learned surviving isn't living And we deserve way more than A brief romance on an episode or two That we deserve Something unconventional and welcome to the second episode of Unconventional, a Clexicon podcast. I am your host, Dana Pickley, and that, dear listeners, was our official new theme song. Isn't it amazing? It was written especially for us by the out singer-songwriter Stephanie Berlanga. And you can find Stephanie at stephanieberlangamusic.com. You can also find her on Facebook and Twitter, and I really recommend you do her entire collection, her EP, her singles, they're all fabulous. And stick around to the end of this podcast where you will get to hear one of her full-length tunes. So I would like to welcome very heartily my guests for this second podcast of Unconventional. Chloe T is a journalist media critic and co-founder of thefeminismproject.com and was a panelist on last year's Queer Women of Color panel at Clexicon. And Alexis Sanchez is the creator and co-founder of Latinx Geeks. And when she's not out saving geekdom, she's a full-time student. Ladies, thank you so much for being here to talk with me today. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we are here to talk about a very important subject and for some reason, I don't know about you guys, but do you ever get tongue twisted on intersectionality? Yes. Yeah, they're both nodding their heads. <laughs> $20 word that... It's seven syllables, you guys. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's, it's a big word, and I think that it can be um, intimidating to people to talk about. And I think it's really, really important that we do talk about it. And for those who are tuning in and listening, essentially... I'll give you like the uh, the academic kind of definition of intersectionality. It's the thought that in that oppressive institutions, so we're talking about racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, are all interconnected and can't be examined separately without going back to the other. And so that can be a little bit it um, can be a lot to chew through. So I want to know, Chloe and Alexis, what does intersectionality mean to you? Um, this is Chloe, by I, the way. Hi, oh, hi. Um, I, intersectionality, I think, is an academic word, right? And I think the easiest way to think about um, the term is to think of it as like a bigger picture look at everything, but understanding that everything is connected. Um to bring it onto, I guess to, it's kind of difficult to explain to people that are already the default people. So if you're, um, I guess like, you know, we like to go straight to white straight males <laughs> as like a, as a default who are running things. And it's really hard for them to understand, you know, female issues. I think it's for everyone that's not the default and it's to take them into consideration. Right. And to take all of our social, um, you know, identities into consideration because you aren't ever just a woman. You aren't ever just, you know, a white person or you just aren't ever uh, like an Asian person. You are so complex. And I think the thing, the 
intersectionality addresses all of you and all of what you are and how you connect to people on all levels. And I think that can be difficult for people to wrap their brains around because it's a lot to think about, right? And unless you are the default, right, it's definitely harder to connect with because when you are a default person, which is usually like a, a straight white cis male, um, or even straight white cis females are more default than the rest of us, the minute you're a minority, you are considered for things um, socially. And it's all that systematic stuff that kind of, you know, are we, I don't know if we're getting into today, but it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of stuff to think about <laughs> how we can connect to other people. <laughs> yeah, like uh, for me, intersectionality really is not ignoring any of my identities. Like my being a pan slash by whichever term I feel like using that day with whatever person doesn't ignore the fact that I'm also Latinx or that I also struggle with mental health issues. Like all those issues come together and you can't just focus on one thing and ignore how the rest of our identities relate to that issue, whether it's racism, homophobia, uh, sexism. They're, they're all connected. So that's my way of thinking of it. <laughs> that was a much clearer definition. Oh, you, you, <laughs> you both had excellent definitions, and you're both coming from yeah. your own perspectives, and that's why we're talking about this. And so yeah. why do you think it's so easy for people to disconnect? Like, why, why are we struggling to embrace intersectionality? Like, why do you think some people just find that so difficult? you know, to like look outside of themselves. Do you think that that's really just it? It's like, it's just really difficult to like look at something that is not yourself and your perspective. I think it's because it makes people uncomfortable. People like to feel like their opinions are qualified and the way they feel, they want their feelings validated. And when they have to take other people into consideration, especially if you have privilege, right? And the thing is, people who have privilege also have personal problems, and they have problems themselves. They feel like if they pay attention to other people's problems, it takes away from their own, you know? So yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do with ego. When you really get down to it, it's hard on people's egos, and it makes them uncomfortable having to think that other people might have things just as tough, if not tougher, than you know, what's going on in their lives. Yeah, and I think part of it is also this idea that if, a, for example, if a person is, let's say, a self-proclaimed feminist and they're like, this is how I see this issue, they don't like the idea that someone's saying, yeah, you're a feminist, but you're not including other people. Your view is still limited. And so some people don't like hearing that and they get confrontational and they're like, no, but this is an all of us problem. I'm like... Yeah, but it's it's different from how I'm personally affected to it or by how someone else might be affected to it by it. Um, so I think that's that's one of the problems that people think that by saying, hey, you have to listen to our view and see see it how we see it. They feel like they're doing something wrong and then they feel attacked. Right. So instead of looking at it as a way of expanding like your your worldview it becomes like personal, like, oh, I must be lacking in some way or I must be doing something wrong. If Guilt. I, yeah. 
Yeah. Guilty. No one likes that feeling. And I think it's jarring whenever anyone kind of helps shift a perspective, positive or negative. It's still Mm -hmm. hard to kind of grasp a new scope on life, right? Yeah. Well, I I was talking with with Chloe and Alexis about... Uh, Sarah Silverman's new show before before we started uh, recording and uh, explaining because uh, Chloe hasn't seen it yet, but Alexis had. And in the first episode, there's a there's a moment where Sarah, she's running around, she's singing, she's you know she's trying to be her best her you know person, her activist, everything. And so she runs into the actress Retta, and she says to her like, "Hey, you know." tell me how to be a better ally. And Ryder responds to her by saying, hey, it's not my responsibility to make you a better ally. And that really, that really struck me because I, I realized that I think that that happens an awful lot is not that it's people don't mean well, but yeah, like, why are we putting the heavy lifting on the shoulders of people who are already dealing with oppressions of their own? Just even if it comes from a place of genuine concern, allies should be doing their own research and should be doing their own critical thinking about this. And then uh, when we talked about this, Chloe had some something to add because she feels a different way about it. So, Chloe, what do you think about that? I mean, I understand where that thought comes from. Like, why should the marginalized help like the majority understand them better? But if. The purpose is to promote a better understanding. I think there needs to be an understanding on both sides. Um, I guess, I, I mean, I just take this from personal experience. I guess this is, this is a very personal thing for me. And as somebody that has been involved in the activist um, activism community here in Toronto, it, it can be a challenge because there are a lot of activists that take that position, as the character did in the show, that it was like, oh, it's not my responsibility to educate you. If you want to be like a better activist or a better ally or a stronger this or that, you need to go learn that on your own. And my my issue with that is that's a whole different kind of privilege. Education itself is a privilege. To know better is a privilege. And if you know better, you're holding on to your own privilege at that point and not willing to share. So I can see it from both sides, but I guess I, I, guess I take this position because um, my parents are not the most understanding. In fact, I would go as far as saying my father was flat out homophobic before I came out, you know? And he didn't understand queerness. And I could have been very mad at him and very social activisty at him and like, you know, cut him off or done all kinds of things. But again, intersectionality, let's take it into consideration. He is Chinese. Uh, second generation Canadian, he was brought up very differently. He did not have the same access to resources that educated people have. In fact, he never even finished high school. So where is he going to workshop? Where is he going to learn these terms? Where is he? Where is his entry point? Mm. And if I'm not willing to help bridge that gap, who is going to do it? Is he? Is it? Is is it his responsibility to like? I yes, I do understand that it is his. Res- personal responsibility better than the environment he grew up in but what if he didn't under he didn't understand that he doesn't know that he doesn't get that and you know for people who are trying to get you to get them I think you just have to give them an opportunity 
to understand you too. And it's about meeting someone halfway. And I think that's I think that's what it comes down to when it comes to activism and better representation in general. You need that entry point. You need that access. You need that yearning for understanding. And so um, when it comes down when it came down to it, I do. I have to like, and I'm careful. And and when it comes to you know bringing up new things that it's time for, I'm no, it's time for new lessons. <laughs> I curate the program uh, very very carefully. Because, and, you know, some people might not like that. And in fact, a lot of activists are just like, you know, you just have to say it. And I mean, you can just say it, but you, it's really difficult to shove opinions down anyone's throats. It's like at this point, if conservatives try to promote their ideas and values onto you and you're not like, obviously, as I, I'm assuming we're all pretty progressive here, but <laughs> you know, when they're trying to explain to you why they think gun laws are important and the end all be all, I mean, you know. I, I, I obviously disagree with them, and, but they strongly believe that that's their reality. Um, you know what I mean? Then you get into those things. I've derailed a little bit. No, no, no. <laughs> you, I appreciate your perspective so much. I, I'm curious, Alexis, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? So for me, I was actually kind of happy when I saw that scene because I get it from the perspective that sometimes just having to explain the same things to people can get kind of exhausting. Mm. You, you know, we're, the, how I see is like, we're putting in that not only intellectual work, but emotional work, talking about very serious and difficult topics. And most of the time it is from people coming from a good place that do want to learn. But I guess it depends on where the halfway point is. Some people want you to give them just the basic information, mm-hmm. information that they really could just look, look it up themselves. And right, like point me in the right direction. Give them the resources. Kind of yeah. And you know what? If they say that, hey, I will point you in the right direction. But some people, you can point them in the right direction, but they're still asking more of you without putting in the work themselves. Mm-hmm. And having to do that all the time, I mean, it can get tiring. And some people are just tired of having to repeat the same basic stuff again and again to people that say they want to do better, but just end up failing that, honestly. <laughs> so like, are, I, I, I should we it. should we start like um, like carrying around pamphlets, maybe, you know, like, uh, yeah, so like, you, so you want to be a better ally. Here you go. <laughs> Hang on, I hear I hear that. But I think this is a situation where it's like, remember who the real enemy is. And it's the system. There is a lack of representation for so many different kinds of minorities, right? And there are certain marginalized groups that I don't even understand. I might be a queer racialized female, but there are times that I want to be a better ally when it comes to, you know, when I, when I mean an advocate for ableism, right? And, and situations like that, I don't know that much about it. And if somebody is willing to share their experiences with me and help me understand how to be a better ally, I recently, in the last year, actually was on the Feminism Project, I got told off for using the term lame. And I was so, I'm so used to it. I'm sorry. I grew up in the 90s. It was all over TV. It just became something that I was just so used to saying. I don't say it anymore. Mm -hmm. I needed an entry point and I needed help. And, um, you know, I, it was very humbling, um, (laughs) being torn 
a new one for that usage. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that's what happens though. And when you are, and so it, it's, it's an interesting shift because in that moment, when you're asked how to be a better ally, the power shifts and you have the power mm-hmm. because you have the knowledge. So, and privilege is all about power. So if you have the power in that moment, I guess it's up to you how you want to use it. But I think, I, of course I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted all the time. I don't even, so many times I'm told I don't even look like a lesbian, right? And so then for so many straight people, let me tell you, I am their entry point. I don't know any lesbians. You're the only one I've ever known. So they have Right, questions. right. So Been there <laughs> about a thousand times. A hundred percent, yes. But I guess it is exhausting. So I hear you. I hear the exhaustion. I feel the exhaustion. But I also feel it's a responsibility to represent. And since there's no representation on television and film for <laughs> queer Asians, uh, I feel <laughs> responsible as a real life, real life person to, to tell them a little bit about what's what. And if they're <laughs> asking, I appreciate that. Yo, man, you want to help me and support me? Yes. What do you want to know? Tell all your friends so I don't have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I have been asked, I'm a little bit older than you guys, so I have been asked so many times about queerness and what is this and how does this work and... And I think that, like, I, I get it. It is, it can be exhausting. And, but then I, re- then I remember that if I can maybe give this person a little bit of perspective, then that might really genuinely change that person's mind or open that person's world. And so at least from my position, I try to be open about it and not get frustrated. But I totally get how it could be, like, beyond exhausting. Yeah. You just say that's when the real activism happens. They meet someone. I, I guess I, I'm I'm in Toronto. I feel a lot of pe- like a lot of people coming here from small towns, and they didn't have an out lesbian that was comfortable enough to say, "I am gay," right? And they meet somebody that's out and comfortable with their identity, and that's new for them. Mm-hmm. And they're socializing with all kinds of people. If you leave a good impression on them. Suddenly, like, I guess that's, to me, that's what activism is. It's really touching people that are going to touch other people. We're talking about intersectionality. We're talking about how we can't ignore, you know, the connections and identities. All of this matters. All of it matters. And you're leaving an impression. Right. And I, I guess, I guess that's my attitude for it. Also, Dana, I'm sorry. Are you older than me? Because I, I, I can't believe that. <laughs> Well, first of all, yes. And second of all, I don't talk about my age. <laughs> but yes, and bless your heart for for thinking that I was your age. Um, well, let me say excellent genetics. Thank you. I'll tell my mom <laughs> and my dad. Um, so we all, we all work in some form in the media and entertainment. And so I want to know your personal perspectives about feeling... Do you feel represented in entertainment and media at all a little bit? Like, Alexa, start. I want to start with you. Like, do you feel represented 
at all? <laughs> Honest answer. I'm gonna no, say by. I was gonna really. say by the look on your face. <laughs> that's yeah. gonna be a big fat no. Not not really. Um, honestly, until this past year, with one day at a time. Yeah, I one day at a time. Queer Latinx person on TV that was close to my story. I think like the best one we that I know everyone loves, and I mean I personally love her, uh, Sarah Ramirez oh, on yeah. Grey's Anatomy, but like. I never watched the show, so which everyone's always like, "How have you not watched?" Well, it's it's that's a thirteen-year investment. I, it's it's, it's yeah, a lot. <laughs> I, I can't do that investment. I just I no, I can't. Maybe maybe once I graduate, I'll I'll get into that. But right now, I'll just go off of what people have said. But I mean, like honestly, there's there really isn't any. I mean, even. One show I did catch up with the, in the past couple of years is The L Word, which had supposedly two Latinx lesbians. Neither one played by a Latinx person. Yeah, Carmen and Poppy are supposed well, yeah, to be oh, Latinx. Poppy, yeah, yeah, neither one is. So uh, I yelled at my friend for several hours about that. I was like, why did you not warn me that this person would show up? But they're not Latinx. She was like, I thought that was common knowledge. I was like, I never watched the show. (laughs) Warn me. But yeah, and that's kind of something that has happened again in another recent superhero show, Um, which I know there's a lot of fans of, so I can never actually (laughs) talk too much about them. Look at you treading that line so carefully. So, uh, yeah. So basically so, what you're telling me is that there's really only one show that you can look at and say, I see myself in this show. And it only came out this year. So, so like, I just want, like, I just want the people that are listening to this to realize, like, the magnitude of that. In general, queer women don't have... And queer women, non-binary folks, trans folks, we don't have a lot of people to look to, period. But I can turn on my television and find a couple of queer, white, lesbian, bisexual women. But you're telling me that there is only one. You only get to see one. And so that's something that we all need to think about. When we're advocating, when we're advocating for more representation... We need to think, like, there are people that are only seeing themselves maybe one time in a television year. Like, that's that's something we all need to be working on. So continue. I'm sorry, Alex. I just, I just, uh, oh, no, I, sometimes no, I need to, like, bring it's, the big picture in. It's, it's definitely difficult when you're trying to introduce people to this type of, like, to Latinx culture. And you're like, oh, well, you know, like, um, I had someone much younger than me um, recently start to explain like, hey, so I think I might have feelings for a girl. And I was like, ooh, let me give you all this stuff to read. But sorry, none of it is Latinx based, basically. Like we have like the one book that once again, I read this past year that I was like, oh my gosh, this was basically me as a teenager is Julia takes, takes a breath. breath fight. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's, yeah. Which is absolutely amazing. But the fact that there's only like one book or like one TV show, it, it, it is difficult. Cause like, I mean, I, 
like Winona Earp, I just literally recently watched that maybe two months ago, and I watched like the entire two seasons basically in one go. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Look at all this representation. And I'm like, but once again, no one's Latinx. I don't get to see that. I don't. So it is a, it's a weird place being like, yes, lesbians on TV or bisexual women on TV. But that's as far as the representation goes. Right. What about you, Chloe? I'll watch anything with lesbians. But, okay. <laughs> I will too, but <laughs> that's a different story. I, I, just to repeat the question, it's have I ever seen myself represented on TV? Well, in, in entertainment in general. In entertainment in general. Okay, well, I'm gonna, as queer women of color, it's a, that's a challenging question. So um, the answer, the, the straight answer is no. And, and I, I, but I have an idea as to why. But it, it, and they, there was a recent study um, that was released 2017, September, multi-university study. They studied 242 television shows and 2,052 series regulars, right? So we're just going to, I'm just going to focus on television for a second. And mm-hmm. that's, um, the time frame was between 2006 and I think 2016. And uh, they broke it down. So can I just, can I just share this? Absolutely. This be very useful mm-hmm. for, um people to help paint a bigger picture and it's almost 70 percent of, te- of television regulars are white right right 14 percent are black uh, with 5.9 percent being latina um and are you ready for it for asian american and pacific islanders which we they group together so the asian americans they're grouping all the the yellow people in asia and the brown people in asia and they're they're like you're the same and we're going to fall under the same number, okay? And that's 4.3%. And that's just of the representation, period, and doesn't even count queer women. So, no, I've never seen myself on TV. Unless, like, you count Soso from Orange is the New Black, who is half Japanese. I think that's, it's it's difficult, and I think this is a, thing, a, a challenge with queer women of color in general. And I don't know, um, Alexis, if you can relate to this. But you find aspects of your personality in different characters. Oh, yeah. And, you, and you're like, you know what? I'm kind of a bit like that white lesbian, a little bit. I can relate to that moment in a bathroom, you know. When yeah, I'm, you like pick and choose. Yeah, and, and, and then you realize that you're just not accurately represented. And the issue with, um, you know, people of color is they really love tokenism. Uh, and stereotypes. So I can't say any of those stereotypes, even just as an Asian, um, really speak to me, you know? Um, so that's an issue too. <laughs> it's yeah. difficult. And it, you know, leaves you wondering if Hollywood's idea of utopia is just this whitewashed world, um, which it suggests it is <laughs> based on yeah. TV. Um, I do see hints of improvement in places um in shows especially um newer shows well let's let's go to something that like we can do some brainstorming on how do you think that all of us as a community can get more queer women of color on our screens on our small screens on our web series in our movie theaters on our comic books what what steps can we be doing other than like just flat out demanding it on social media and, and, you know, 
spamming Twitter and going and writing emails. Like, is is it is it about getting more queer women of color in writers' rooms? Is it like what do you think are like the first steps that really need to be taken? So recently, um, a study came out saying that only four point eight percent of writers on TV shows are black. And Rebecca Theodore, who I absolutely adore. Oh yeah, she's um, awesome. Yeah, she she got a couple of us on Twitter and was like, "Hey guys, look at this study. I'm gonna." compile a list of all the black writers and you guys should do the same for latinx asian and um what was the other group that she added i cannot remember right now but you know she's she got us together she told us to do that and that's what latinx geeks has been doing for the past two days just trying to find all the people that we can that are latinx writers on netflix hulu tv regular network tv and when people are like, hey, where where are these people? Where can we find them? We can point them in the right direction because I think that's really where it begins. I think it begins be- behind the scenes. If we hire Latinx actors or Black actors and Asian actors and we don't have people that are Black, Asian, Latinx writing them, we're just going to get the same stereotyped stories that we're always getting. There was another study, um, I believe, released this past month that said that 50% of all Latinx stories are immigrant stories and we're most likely portraying criminals. Mm. And, and that's what happens when you don't have Latinx writers behind the scenes. One of the reasons that I think Jane the Virgin and uh, One Day at a Time relate so well with people is because there are actually Latinx writers behind the scenes who are using their personal stories and their personal connections to our culture and our different cultures, not just Latinx as this huge monolith, but Colombian stories, Venezuelan stories, Puerto Rican, Cuban. And I think that's that's where it needs to start. And people need to start paying attention that we aren't just one thing, that we do have separate identities within the Latinx umbrella term. And I think that's that's really where it's important. And I mean, obviously, just sharing and supporting these people where we can, but really behind the scenes, I think, is where it needs to start taking place. I agree. Um, there was a 2017 Hollywood Diversity Report, and it was, and it basically showed that showrunners and people in positions of power in the entertainment industry have really taken on a business as usual attitude overall. So they say, and you know, that's a thing you see it trending in publications in media that we will, we want diversity. The Emmys understand it now. The Oscars are starting to understand it. So you have these awards shows that are recognizing the efforts, but there is just not enough effort there. And the thing is, um, so the 2017 Hollywood Diversity Report studied women and minorities. Um, It showed that, you know, ABC, Disney, Fox, HBO, Universal Pictures, Warner Brothers, CBC has, or sorry, CBC's uh, Canadian, CBS, they have two programs and um, NBC they have four diversity writing programs so I can see that some of these networks are making the effort of getting people in in um, these positions of power to do that but overall the industry continues running television shows as they have so they might be writing it but it's still not getting on screen Mm -hmm. so that's that's the trouble and that's the struggle there right and I and I can see some of the effort. So I'll recognize that, but it's not enough. 
Um, and it's not for lack of, it's, it's not for lack of resources because no. every queer woman I know and every queer woman of color I know are like brilliant writers who are actively doing things and have ideas and have, have the skills to do this. They're just not getting in the rooms yet. No, that's exactly what the issue is. Right. Um, and it's a risk. I actually found out, I interviewed Lynn Chen from Saving Face one of the only Asian lesbian movies out there. Um, and she was talking about her holding deal with NBC. So she was, I, I, so that supports their, well, it makes sense. They have four diversity writing programs going on right now. So I guess she's involved with one of them. I don't know. I can't confirm that. Don't quote me on that. Um, but um, even with this, women and minorities remain underrepresented on screen. So I do think it really comes down to waiting till the boomers die. I'm kidding, kind of, but <laughs> I do think that is a big, that's one of our biggest obstacles. It's the people who make the decision ultimately when it comes to what, what they're going to produce, put their money into and put on screen. So instead, mm. it's, instead of waiting for anyone to, to meet their untimely demise, um, how about instead of us just pushing for more representation on screen, we really start as fans, as listeners, as viewers, saying we want representation in all facets of these shows. Um, because I think that the voices of, of the Twitter and Facebook and, and, and social media communities have done a tremendous amount of good when it comes to representation on screen. But if we turn our efforts, or at least double our efforts, and include... Like this is this is how we're going to get our stories told is if we have our people telling them, you know what I mean? Like we need to be yeah. also pushing for that. Yeah, we need to be nice to our allies. Uh, <laughs> we need to be nice to our allies, especially the ones that have access to these positions of power. Yeah, and I think uh, with intersectionality, one thing I have noticed though is that. Some of these showrunners are super into, yes, let's hire all the women and, you know, they will be playing queer characters or whatever. And they'll have that and you'll see it. But it will always start off with white characters. Yeah. And still then there'll be a second season. They'll be like, OK, well, now, you know, we're going to get the minorities in there and, you know, they'll also be gay. And I'm like, well, you know, what would be great if you could start off with us as well. <laughs> Like, have that, because, I mean, these are people with with uh, the actual power, and they're still, I feel, a step behind. So, hey, if they want to start off with supporting women of color, because they are still women, that would be awesome, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, and this is a lazy answer that you'll get from people in the industry. It's risky, right? They think it's oh, a yeah. Oh, so that's, and you have to think, and I guess if you think about that, there there's a lot of money involved here, right? And when they're thinking to invest, it's a risk to invest in a queer woman of color on screen because you don't know if the ratings are going to perform. But I just want to give them all a reality check. You just don't know right. if the ratings are going to perform. It's a lazy answer, but that's the one they love to stand behind. Well, they sure yeah, they sure as heck put a lot of money and effort into. Uh, cis male lead shows that completely bomb 
And so oh, yeah, they can bomb twelve. Right, right. Like th- that's okay. That can bomb totally right. But you have an audience that's saying, "We want this. We want this," and still saying, "Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of risky to me." People flock from show to show because <laughs> yep. we need this representation. Right. I mean, I sure as hell would tune in. I know. I know. We all would. Like, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer to me. I, I mean, yeah. I'll watch. I'll watch a show. With <laughs> when I was when I was younger and there was very little. I mean, like I would if I heard like even a whisper on the wind that there was a queer person on a television show, I was there. Um, so I, I think that it's having more representation, having more opportunities. It's just gonna, it's just gonna be better for everyone, and that means viewers, uh, companies that are you know putting the money behind these things, uh, stations, all this stuff. It obviously, it's working for streaming. Hello? Yeah, I was going to say, if there there are shows that are going to come out, I really feel like it's going to end up on Netflix or Amazon Prime. They seem to be more comfortable taking these risks. When it it comes to network shows, um, I do think it comes down to who's in, in charge <laughs> and who gets to make those executive, yeah. de- executive decisions. And um, I guess we need to find an entry point where someone can advocate <laughs> and, and help them understand and present like a, a business model that they, that they can digest. Because I mean, I have one good fact for them. Uh, Latinx are 15% of the U.S. population, but the biggest moviegoers, so... We obviously want to see this content, and we will pay for it. So please. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, I mean, but that's—I mean—that's a huge point. Are you kidding? That was like the best that yeah, it's true. It's so, so right? true. I mean, I, I know. I mean, queer women. Uh, this is what I say: queer people will throw down cash. Like there is no tomorrow if you are giving them something. We will watch anything. We will. It we will even do have it. To be good. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I'm just true. saying, they are a very... terrible lesbian movies I've watched is embarrassing. <laughs> but what I... I what have I, a list I have to go through. You guys. <laughs> I'm just saying that we find the money to support the art that we want. And oh, so yeah. I think that uh, it's about time, if, anyone's, if anyone out there who runs a studio is listening, it's about time. It's time. Um, okay, so you have given us so much food for thought. And before we kind of wrap this up, I, you both attended Clexicon last year. Chloe as yes. a panelist, Alexis as, as an attendee. Um, what would you tell people about Clexicon? Like your experience at Clexicon? Um, it was around my birthday. And... I was really excited because I was going to Sin City to a convention with 2,500 lesbians <laughs> in one big room. It was like going to a buffet. It was and a buffet. Hang on, of premium, a premium people. <laughs> Friendship. Because these people, because these people that were there were so smart. There were so many brilliant minds there with so much passion, a shared passion for entertainment, news and um, entertainment, like and characters for, uh, that, that share us the same love for fictional characters. It was a pretty amazing experience. I have never gone to Comic-Con. I have never done any of those things. I 
you know, I'm a closet, you know what, I'm a closet nerd. I'm not really out yet in my life when it comes to that. Well, you just came out in a big way. (laughs) You know what? It felt kind of like the first time I walked into a lesbian bar and, (laughs) but with like people willing to geek out with you. And I think that's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Did you have a buffet of friendship, <laughs> Alexis? <laughs> <laughs> so, I had a buffet of exhaustion because I had been at, um, me and my friend decided that, you know what, Clexicon is as equally important as Emerald City Comic Con. If you guys don't know, Emerald City Comic Con is in Seattle. Um, so I was at Clexicon for one day. We flew down from Seattle. And left that night. I was there for, like, maybe 11 hours. But it was an amazing experience because, I mean, I go to a really gay university. Like, it's ridiculous. And I love it because that was my first experience of being around that many people. But to be at a con, like Chloe said, uh, with that many women and just lesbians going crazy about all these shows and it was a cornucopia like, of queer. It was, it, yeah, it was an amazing experience because I hadn't experienced that. Oh, goodness. Hi, Pike. Sorry, my, nep- my nephew has arrived. <laughs> but you both would, but, you both um, would recommend it to, to others? Oh, of course. Yes, definitely go and stay, go to the panels and stuff and do all that fun stuff, but also just kind of hang out in the lobby and you really don't know who you might see. My friend got pictures with um the saving face cast and like saw like several other people just walking by and it was awesome and i'm i'm just getting into the movie world like i think i've seen like four lesbian movies um (laughs) i know i'm a bad lesbian but so i didn't recognize as many people but she was going crazy left and right just like oh that's that person from this movie and that's that person from this show and i was like okay i will be more excited next year so do that you don't know who you might see and it will be great you know i spent most of my time in the press room because i was uh working but i just want to share this moment it was the best i was interviewing lin chen from saving face and behind me i think my friend leah who was there the co-founder the other co-founder of the feminism project who was there she uh, took a photo, and in the back of it was Don Denbo. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Cater! Let me just say, only at Clexicon could that happen. <laughs> Working, and in the back is Don Denbo. <laughs> it, was, it, was pretty, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> so where can our listeners find you guys? Alexis, what's, uh, wh- what, are your, what are your handles so everyone can follow you on Twitter? Luckily, mine is easy. You can find Latinx Geeks, L-A-T-I-N-X Geeks, everywhere. Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter. That's where we're most active on Twitter. So, yeah. And where can we find you, Chloe? Oh, okay. Um, I'm at thefeminismproject.com. And on social, I'm KChloeC. That's... I guess. And it's pretty simple. I'm- and it's T-S-E, just so you know. Just in case... I mean, not not that you know, Chloe, you know, but just for the listeners. <laughs> Thank you both so, so much for this. I really appreciate it. I think this has been a really important and fascinating conversation to have. And I can't wait to hang out with you guys at Clexicon next year. Yeah, I'll know, I'll know yes. who you are. And I'll be like, please hug me. Hi. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, Latinas Geeks is press next Clexicon, so I'm excited. <laughs> thank you for having us on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. That's going to do it for this second episode of Unconventional. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'd love it if you would follow us on social media. You can find Clexicon on Twitter and Facebook at Clexicon. And of course, Clexicon.com. And you can find me, Dana Pickley, your host, at Dana Pickley. And as promised, we are going to end the podcast with a full-length version of one of Stephanie Berlanga's songs. The title is Aftermath, and it's one of her newest singles, and I highly suggest you check it out. And until the next time we meet, here's Dana Pickley swearing fealty to you. I heard the siren screaming, take shelter, the air is getting warm. With you, I wouldn't believe it Should've known it was the calm before the storm Calm before the storm I ignored my intuition As I watched the clouds roll in Maybe if I had listened Shattered dreams And all the wreckage of what used to be Knocked me off of my feet